The Incomparable Podcast, number 99, July 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I am joined by a fantastic panel today to create something we're going to call The Incomparable Summer Reading List. Are you somebody who lives in the Northern Hemisphere? If not, we apologize, but we all are. So uh, we're going to say that it's summer, and we're going to come up with some suggestions for books, mostly sci-fi novels, but we may cheat a little bit. Uh, Just things we like, books we like. We're not going to go heavy into the spoilers, I think, but books we like that we think you should read. And at the end of this, there will be a wonderful list that will be posted at 5x5.tv slash incomparable slash 99. And it will be books that we, at least some of us, endorse and think that you should read if you haven't read them yet. It's that simple. And if you're saying to yourself, this sounds, Jason, a little bit like you're doing a book draft but not calling it that, you are a very clever person and also very handsome, I must say. <laughs> anyway, joining me today to draft some books and talk about books we love are Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I'm glad to be participating in this experiment in literacy. That's good. Uh, we will. I'll let you know the results when we're done. <laughs> um, Scott McNulty is also here, of course, because he is the most well-read among us. Hi, Scott. Hello. I'm also joined by Serenity Caldwell. Hi, thanks for being here. Yeah, I am happy to be here, Jason. I didn't think I would be able to, but uh, I managed to scrounge up some books. That's good. Just got in under the wire. Exactly. And Lex Friedman is the least read among us, but no, <laughs> but he's here anyway. Hi, Lex. I, no, I, I don't think it's fair to say I'm the least read. I will say I'm the least qualified to appear on this podcast. I signed up when it was just a generic book draft, but I still feel confident that I can contribute something uh, at the very least, the ability to be mocked uh, mercilessly. Yes, on this your confidence will be your undoing. You may you may be mocked for not being geeky enough, and that would make you perhaps one of the first people to be mocked. So, and also, Glenn Fleischman is here. Hi, Glenn. Hello. I have no German books on my list <laughs> okay. today, okay. and no Germane books. That's uh, also correct. That would be less good. All right, so. I am not going to be a cruel uh, taskmaster and force a draft order here. I'm going to just say the ground rules are, of course, if somebody else picks your book, you don't get to pick it. But that's okay. We're all friends here. You can just you can file a concurring opinion and say, yeah, that's a, that is a great book. Good pick. And when Glenn picks a book that we've never heard of, we can say, okay, Glenn. So that's going to be how this works. Cause <laughs> oh, now it's a challenge. That's how it always works. Dan Morin, why don't you go first then? I'm going to go first. Uh, I'm going to pick a – and this is a science fiction book. So I think I can check that box. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm done. I'm done. You're, you're, <laughs> um, you're off, off to a good start. A science fiction book. Okay, that's the <laughs> I love that. That's my selection. A science fiction book. Um, so my first book is a book called Altered Carbon by a man named Richard K. Morgan, which is a sci-fi wow. book. I think that's about, uh, I want to say, early to mid-2000s. Uh, and what I like about this book is that it's basically a neo-noir mystery set in the future in which people are variously downloaded into bodies that they call sleeves. Um, and that's sort of how they, they live out their existence. Um, and the, the book centers around one particular character um, whose name I'm going to butcher, which but I think which is a T- Takeshi Kovach, um, who is... Uh, a specially trained sort of a uh, special ops guy. He's he's an envoy. I love that this is the future because you can tell it's the future and somewhat implausible because the like highly trained uh, military envoys work for the United Nations in the future, um, which I find entirely implausible. But that's probably the most <laughs> implausible thing in the book. Uh, people getting downloaded, their consciousness downloaded in different bodies. Yeah, whatever. Fine. The United Nation relevant. <laughs> 
Um, but anyways, he is sort of uh, sucked into this mystery investigation. And uh, it's it's a great book. It's really atmospheric. It reminded me in some ways of all the stuff I liked the best from Neuromancer, um, which is sort of that, that future, bizarre future that's kind of like, not quite Blade Runner-esque, but it's, it's kind of alien, but at the same time has these really recognizable elements. And it is probably the only book you will read in which one of the main characters is a hotel. <laughs> one of them. One of them. Um, yeah. Uh, it's followed by a couple sequels. I didn't think either of the sequels were as good as the first one. They take a kind of different tone. Um, and it, I've read most of this guy's books, and it is Altered Carbon is definitely my favorite. And I would, I would go so far as to call it one of the, one of the best sci-fi books from the last decade. Wow. Okay, Altered Carbon. Anybody else read that one? Never uh, heard of it. I have read it. And Scott, do, do you like it? Uh, who knows? I read it a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've even forgotten whether you liked it. I did like it. Uh, I okay. did buy the sequel. I haven't read the sequel. Uh, that, that, stick, with the, stick with the first one. It's the, definitely the best. Throw the sequel in the wood chipper. <laughs> I will put it in the recycling bin. Okay, that's even better. <laughs> Scott McNulty, do you have a selection? Uh, I do. So I uh, was unclear as to the format of tonight's show. That's so okay. So was I, I, and I came up with it. So oh, go for excellent. it. Excellent. So I decided that I would just pick whatever the heck I wanted That's, to. That was no, you were very clear on the format then. Excellent. Good. <laughs> that was it. And pick so, whatever and we'll call it something else. Yes. So one of the first books that I read that really set the course for my science fiction reading uh, life, Isaac Asimov's uh, Foundation Trilogy. Which uh, I know many people are conflicted about Isaac Asimov because he was probably not the best writer in the world. Uh, he was quite prolific, uh, and he did. Uh, he was part of kind of the the, the golden age of science fiction writers uh, when all the pulp writers were around. So you know he was uh, Robert Heinlein, and uh, you know lots of other uh, people that whose names now escape me were writing at the same time in the the late fifties, early sixties. And so he wrote this Foundation Trilogy, which is basically a sci-fi retelling of the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, and and he – it's just – it really impacted me when I read it the first time uh, because uh, it was this sweeping story of this, this giant galactic empire and this character called Harry Seldon who creates this uh, form of uh, predicting the future called psychohistory. And he he goes to the emperor who uh, is on this planet called Trantor. That's a giant city planet, which may sound familiar to some Star Wars fans. Uh, who and so he tells the emperor, you know, the emperor, the empire is going to fall. I know when it's going to fall, and it will take two thousand years for the second empire to rise, unless we do what I tell you to do, and then it'll take a thousand years. And so he sets up this foundation to that basically preserves the the human knowledge and can help the galaxy through the Dark Age. Uh, but then also he sets up a second foundation that is really there to protect the humanity. Uh, and Isaac Asinoff uses uh, this kind of this 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 uh, entries from this uh, Encyclopedia Galactica to, to kind of tell you what's going on in the story, which a lot of other science fiction writers then pick up as a kind of trope that they use. Uh, so he set a lot of things for the first time in this this series that a lot of other people have used over the last 50 years. So it's a very important piece of science fiction. Uh, it is also very much of its time. So if you're reading it and expecting uh, science fiction of, like, you know, 
our our day, you're you're going to be disappointed. It certainly reflects its time, but I think it is well worth a read. Uh, and the three books in the trilogy are altogether shorter than a lot of the current novels that are out now from uh, science fiction writers. So it's well worth a look. Yeah, he, he would. I don't know about him being a bad writer. He's not a stylist, right? He he just his style is very. Um, basic or as somebody in the chat room just said uh, uh karen j healy uh his pro style is like an ibm 360 operating manual that got drunk one evening and decided to be a novel instead <laughs> and that's really not that far off a very kind of uh workman-like prose but some really fascinating ideas now i see glenn said that that the first he thought the first book in foundation was good but the rest yes. not so much is that what you're saying see i disagree i think the first book for me is one of the most dull but i think foundation and empire which is the second book really kicks it up a notch and gets more interesting i guess so the third is pretty awful if i recall i don't even remember the third i liked some of the later ones i felt like asimov's style got a little better so some of the ones that go back and do the prequel yeah i found much more like i was a prelude to foundation and forward the foundation i found those much more accessible i don't know if you could argue they're better books but I like the first one best because it was that it's empire building, right? It's like when all the ideas are fresh and all the exposition is there. And I thought it was so clever. I think you're right. Maybe the second one actually is better. Like it moves more because there's not as much well, you, exposition, but you have a little more, you have a little more plot, right? You got the mule that comes in, which is sort of, that's the part I remember being really excited that's about. Right. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a good, that's a good hidden thing. Like you don't realize, I, I mean, at some point, I don't think the first time I read it, I got it until the end. You're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. But, um, it's just like, it's some good feints and double feints and he doesn't, he doesn't telegraph everything that's going to happen. Um, some of it's obvious and especially reading now because everything that he did was absorbed into other writers later works. But I mean, I think it is literally, as Scott says, it's, it's the foundation of modern science fiction is you can't walk away from the ideas in the book because everyone read them. And then they, even if they hated it, what they wrote was an opposition. It's like atheists and the Bible. Right. I have to say I really enjoy some of Asimov's other works. Uh, I have a soft spot for uh, Caves of Steel, which is his his murder mystery I with a uh, with um, a robot. R. Daniel who which which actually not to spoil too much, which actually does link in with Foundation at the down very the end. Road. Yes, mm-hmm. um, but I, I really enjoy that trilogy that he has with uh, Elijah Bailey and R. Daniel Olivar yes. solving mysteries in in various planets oh, and stuff like that. I can remember like I can remember that feeling of when um, when the uh, wait what's the fellow's name the the human who he works with. Bailey, Elijah Bailey, Bailey. right? Where he goes on the surface of the planet, he's never really been on the surface of the planet, and just forces himself to do it. And that sense of being out, the terror of being in open space because he's lived his life underground. You're like, wow, it's just that was actually some good writing. Yeah, no, I think I think Asimov some some of his stuff is better than other stuff, but a foundation does unquestionably sort of the 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 standard by which he is judged. I think it's certainly his most influential work. The big problem is there's all these uh, – was it Greg Bear and some of the other – some of the modern science fiction writers were hired to write additional foundation books uh, and um, those are sort of – I've read a couple of them and I just don't remember anything except my screaming. It's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And I, I am a, a, a devout Asanoff fan, so I've read all of his novels and I, I like them all. Uh, I do realize, you know, he is – he is like Jason said, he's a workman, so he, well, his well, prose as, – let me, let me ask you, as an Asimov fan, I want to ask you, I heard, I remember when I was a kid, I remember hearing this uh, trivia that he had written something in every category of the Dewey Decimal System. 
That is true, and I, I've also uh, – I don't know if it's true, but that, that it is often said that he – it is, it is a, an antidote. I know. Go with your first gut. Go with your gut. That is true. That is true. It is uh, – I have read that. Uh, I, I cannot confirm whether or not it is true. He has Wikipedia written, says it's true that he did it for all ten major categories of the oh, Okay, decimals. but not subcategories. No. And he, okay. he, was, he was constantly writing. He's also – uh, he had a PhD in chemistry. He was he was a well an accomplished man. I've read his autobiography. Oh, uh, he had a great you know. There's that joke about his autobiography. I remember the title is "In Memory Yet Green," and mm-hmm. there's a sequel. And um, he was asked to you know use a, a line from poetry, and then apparently he just invented a poem, and it's actually a nice little poem. Um, but it, it was so convincing, people thought it was some older you know 19th century work that he had borrowed from. Asimov. Asimov. He's out of well, the Scott, game, jerk. Scott, I was going to ask. It's like it usually takes a lifetime to read Asimov. So you must be how many years old are you, Scott? Really? Uh, I was born in 1887. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He, he just puts the books under the pillow at night and wakes up having read them. That's that's right. All right. So there is uh, Asimov. We have two items. Although really, the Foundation trilogy is more than one item, but we'll let Scott have it. Uh, let's move on to Glenn. Glenn, what is your selection? And if it is in uh, German, then you will have to describe it in German. It is not in German. All right, okay. It's fully in English. Ganz gut. Um, I think I'm going to pick Dune. If we're picking um, great sprawling things, and I can say with absolute definitive. Uh, certainty that Dune, you should read Dune and then forget that the word Dune exists in any other book title after that. <laughs> uh, but the first book, I mean, I remember reading that. This is one of these books I read as a, you know, as a, probably as a early teenager, somewhere around there. And I was totally absorbed by it. He created an entire universe full of improbable things that all sort of had a, some self-consistency and it's mystical. And there are these crazy nun order that are like creating uh, or, or um, uh, using genetics to bring about some kind of messiah who is going to unite the universe and they're giant sandworms right. and these evil, horrible, you know, houses. And it's just, a, I think it's a great sprawling mess and it's a very enjoyable, great read um, and, and freestanding. You don't need to read, please don't read the others <laughs> because you'll be so disappointed. And it's good in the summer because it's a very hot planet. So that's, if you're out right. in the heat or you're beating the heat by staying inside, you can you can kind of imagine the heat of yeah. of the planet of Dune. I, I read right. Dune in the summer in a hammock when I was growing up in high mm-hmm. school in just like 90-degree heat and had some iced tea and out in the hammock reading. I read I don't know how many books in that hammock. But Dune, what I remember about it is that it was one of the first really long books that I read because it's like five or yeah, 600 huge. pages long. Yeah. And my, my review of it at the time was, well, it gets pretty good after the first 200 pages. There's a lot of setup, but but I think yes. I would argue actually the setup on a second reading is better because there's all this stuff that's like the House of Harkonnen and the House of Atreides, blah, 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 and you're like, okay, I don't get it. And then the intricacy goes in later and you come back. Um, one, There's a lot of stuff in there too that I, I sort of like because it's um, – it's he's trying to throw he was trying to overthrow tropes there were so many tropes and this is sort of i think this was considered one of the first environmentalist science fiction novels that there's a bent about you know there's the kind of well he does do the trope of like the noble native you know the people who are the framen on uh, the planet of arrakis known as dune are um you know noble and they have this great culture and they're warriors but they're tender and kind and they have secret names in the tribe and they're secretly gathering all the scarce water on the planet to turn it into a green planet one day, you know, to unleash 
the water and just like you know wheels within wheels and um anyway it's just i don't know i just i have a fond um spot for it and the movie uh of it just by the way i mean it was reviewed so horribly the when david it came lynch out. movie I've seen it again. I watched it, I think, not in the theaters, and I've seen it again not that long ago, and it has a kind of charm to it. It's I will not... kill him! <laughs> exactly. I love Sting, and I love Miguel <laughs> Ferrer. Gotta love them. I'm Jose Ferrer, rather. Patrick Stewart. I gotta say, got my, um, my favorite Kyle thing about Dune is the, uh, is the, the uh, naming scheme. You know, he goes on to, like, Children of Dune, and, like, God Emperor of Dune, and Convenient Store Clerk of Dune, Librarian Brothers and sisters of Dune. Right like, they just keep going pretty much the entire time. Oh, my God. They just are so horrible. I read them all, Very I confess. Dune-y. I read them all. I would keep picking them up. I got being, two. Shame. This one can't. And then his son started writing them with other people, and I think I read one or two of those, and it was like, no, no, it's pretty no, much no, the yeah. death. It's pretty much the death of any franchise, I feel like, when definitely when a relative takes it over, <laughs> but but almost, almost when anybody takes over like you know starts writing in somebody else's world with rare exceptions it's pretty much always like that is the time to give up yeah. uh, i don't you know i'd also flow. recommend there was a um a made for tv series version of it that was much closer to the Sci-fi original channel. book that yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't fantastic but i thought it was a good watch though i was, thought that many series was good yeah actually yeah it was good it was well done not the well sequel done. but that fits with the books so that's <laughs> true the original source I would say that Dune, again, is one of those things that echoes in the minds of other writers. So even if they aren't trying to ape Herbert's style in that first and only good book, uh, <laughs> I also read The White Plague by him. As I say, Dune, his first and only good book, uh, that um, they, they pick up all these elements, the things about traveling between the stars and having these navigators who need a kind of drug to let them you know, enter hyperspace. Where do we see that mental state? Oh, yes, Embassy Town. You know, So you, you read echoes yeah. of it across decades and decades oh, that come from it. Yeah, it's um, Embassy Town. Oh, sorry. I was trying to provoke Dan Moran. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Lex, it worked. Let's move on to Lex. Lex Friedman, who has a, 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 a selection that will be less science fictional, I suspect, but that's okay. Lex, what do you have that, for you, us? You are correct, and I will say that I was talking with my wife, who is a, a very big sci-fi fan, before we started taping, and she said she disapproved of all three of my choices, saying they weren't science fictiony <laughs> enough. Why isn't so, she on the show? I, it's a great question. Uh, but my first choice, it, it's is The Time Traveler's Wife, which I believe you've discussed in a Le- previous Lex, episode. I was going to pick that, so don't feel bad. I was going to yes. pick that as one of my You know, three. it occurred to it occurred to me on that's my list as well. But that's definitely science a, that's fiction. That's about science fiction. It is absolutely is one of the better portrayals of, I mean, of time travel. time travel. Yeah. Right. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is you know, I, I love time travel. I'll watch any movie with time travel. I have seen those, and I'll read any book about time travel because I, I'm fascinated by it. And when we, did, when we talked about Back to the Future some time back, we talked about how Back to the Future's rules of time travel are the ones that if you, if your fiction follows those rules, you don't have to explain them because that's how everybody now understands uh, time travel thanks to that movie. Right. The Time Traveler's Wife obviously does not take that approach. It goes a very different way in a way that, I, <laughs> as time travel goes, seems in some ways more logical. I agree. Um, makes considerably more sense. And, I, and it, I felt like it was good for a summer reading list because it's also, you know, it's a love story and it's romance. And that's, you know, that's the kind of lighthearted fair you want. But, it's, I mean, I can't believe it's her. I don't know how to pronounce her name, so I'm not even trying. But it's Audrey N. And, Niffenegger. I mean, I, so I can't believe it's her first novel and i think it's just so very brilliantly put together and assembled and the the story 
is is obviously it's it's told in a linear fashion that is not at all in any sense of the term linear linear and i just i think it's excellent i really i've read it more than once i enjoy it every single time i get new things from it each time the movie is terrible but the book is really i found just excellent and an excellent handling of of time travel and really not just enforcing its own time travel rules but truly sticking to them and respecting what those rules would mean the um anybody who watched doctor who uh, in the Stephen Moffat era, has gotten the the River Song story is very much a time traveler's wife uh, influenced, let's say, storyline. And and the nice thing about the time traveler's wife is that the storyline uh, and the timelines are internally consistent. And that's what what I really like yes. about it is it it is using. And we have talked about this before, uh, but I love it so much that I'm happy I was going to talk about it again. You know, it, it it's it's got all the ramifications of being up unstuck in time and how you're seeing this relationship from different vantage points from the two characters. And it's it it is touching, and um, it talks about the fact that all relationships and all lives end, and that in you know, but it does it in this strange way where different you know the last time that they see each other is different for each person, which is fascinating. Uh, I loved it a lot. Her her apparently, I think my wife tried to read her second book and it wasn't very good. But oh, this but terrible. This, I this, didn't I didn't even get past like three chapters. But this is a great book. I love this book. So I think that's a great pick, Lex. Thank you. I don't want to spoil anything too, but it's an, it's emotional the whole way through. There are oh, yeah. scenes that just grab you and and pull you and hurt you. I yeah. mean, it's great. Don't watch the movie. Read the book. Can, can I cite my my criticism? Of the book is not that it's a bad book. I actually uh, loved it until I reached the point in which she telegraphed what was going to happen so strongly. I had to put it down because I was too invested in the characters and huh, I knew right. exactly what was going to happen. That like happens. I don't know how many pages in I was like, I cannot read this anymore because I am going to scream and cry. So well, she just, didn't tell. I mean, it's time travel, right? I mean, it's telegraphed. It's, I know, but but it's, but it's time travel. I mean, that's the whole point. Is she knows, yeah. and the character knows that something terrible is going to happen. And I think she could have done a better job of yeah. of, right. of uh, manipulating the streams of oh. time of that. It's because you have no heart. All, All right. right. Well, I liked it. I, I give it thumbs up as well. Look at that. Oh yes, I am so proud of myself right Le- now. Lex wins <laughs> ten points to Lex. You actually get ten plus points, points to Lex. this time. Minus no minus five Ding. points to uh, to Glenn. <laughs> Because he's wrong. That's all right. Ooh, I make I, I make it up in volumes. So, so far, I have that's the one I have not read. You should you should read that, Scott. I think good. you might even like it because I liked it and you and I like things. It's true. And my wife, it's one of her favorite books. Ah, see, there you go. There's lots of reasons oh, to it, like it's, it. It's in my top it's ten. True. Yeah, it's it's. See, it seems it, like a lady book to me. I don't know if that's true. Or not. <laughs> it, it is. You know, in the summer, Scott. In the summertime, I like wow. to. Uh, We're I all like ladies. To sit outside with a beverage and and. Uh, and let the my breeze blow books. over me. And if that's ladylike, then so be it. Read my lady books. I'm casting no judgments. I'm just saying. That's what it, it, it struck me as. My next choice is Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> uh, Serenity Caldwell, you're up. What I do you think? Up. Well, um, I actually haven't read The Time Traveler's Wife, so I will refrain from commenting on Lex's pick. Uh, in terms of my own summer reading, if I go back, most of all of the books that I read during the summer were read uh, at a cabin by the lake. And this cabin had lots of... Older books, so a lot of my picks are from the 1970s, 60s, 50s, 40s, uh, so it'll make the things a little bit interesting. Uh, but I also – I went to the local library, and so in addition to that, I would read like – I would read lots and lots of Star Wars books growing up because it was just readily available and there were a lot of them and I could get through them quickly. But the one book that I kept on coming back to besides the large amount of Tim Zahn and other wonderful writers that I kept coming back to uh, was Madeline Langle's uh, A Wrinkle in Time, which is oh, still possibly so one of my top 
five favorite books. Uh, yeah, but it's that also was my wife's choice as well. Tesseracts. Yeah. Tesseracts. Yeah. There is such a thing as a tesseract. It is. Uh, so this Ooh. is the book that made. I mean, there are other books in this in this series, uh, or not in the Wrinkled Time series, but in my picks that will indicate my love of science as a young child. But this was really my love of science fiction science. Where I picked up this book and I'm like, oh my god, interstellar time and space travel, this is blowing my mind. And it's all identifiable kids. You know, when you're, god, I must have been seven or eight when I first picked this book up and then I read it, you know, through through my teen years. And there's someone to identify with as you grow up with this book. Whether you're, you know, Charles Wallace's age or you get up to Meg's age, you know, you really... You can go through the book and find something new every time, and that's what I really, really adore about this book. Uh, and then also there are the missuses, which the <laughs> interdimensional spirit slash stars slash we don't quite understand what they are, but they're, you know, they can travel through time. So it's it's cool. And it's, you know, a good versus evil battle where the good folks are artists and scientists and the bad, you know, big, big black things and and I'm not going to spoil the ending of the book for the people who haven't read it. And if you haven't read it, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Go read it right now. It is the perfect summer read. Uh, I haven't read it, but my guess is at the end, time gets Botox and no longer has a wrinkle. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> oh. Minus 10 points to Lex. Minus 10 points. Yeah. Sorry, you're there back in the negative. Lens. Lens uh, the lead again. But yeah, I I really love this book, and I and its sequels are also very good. Uh, I actually one of one of its sequels, Many Waters, is a, a sequel a little bit down the ways, uh, which involves the some of the Wrinkle in Time folks going back to uh, Noah's time, I believe. So basically, playing with the idea of Bible uh, characters, and that is a very interesting book for very different reasons, but also a good summer read. So that's my my pitch for Wrinkle in Time and its successors. And also, I know for those people who don't like lots of words, there's a graphic novel coming out this fall, uh-huh. which uh, is also I am very excited for because the uh, the person who's doing the no- the graphic novel is like absolutely in love with a Wrinkle in Time, and she's like, "Oh my god, this has been my favorite project to work on." So I'm crossing my fingers that this will be yet another thing I can add to my Wrinkle in Time bookshelf. For haters of words or lovers of graphic <laughs> or lovers of graphic novels, exactly. I mean, there are still quite a few words, and I think the graphic novel is going to be something like four or five hundred pages. So it's there's no there's not going to be a yeah. dearth of words, just more pictures. All right, that's a that's a classic. I still have my paperback copy, I believe, from when I was a kid. That's in my daughter's bookshelf now. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. All right, I guess it's my turn. What? Um, I know I get a turn. It's shocking because we've been here forever and this is the end of the first round. So we're going to have to go faster. But um, I, I have a bunch of different things here. I'm not really sure what, what to, to go with first. So I'm going to go with the um, obscurity route with the first pick. And I, I was always a big fan of the cyberpunk genre. And, uh, you know, William Gibson's Neuromancer was, you know, it just blew me away when it came out. And that would be an obvious choice, and I'm not going to pick it. Uh, so then then my choice was, I, I think there's a Gibson book that's maybe better than Neuromancer, and I may get to it. But instead, I'm going to go with a much more obscure cyberpunk book from 1986. 
Uh, it's called When Gravity Fails by George Alec oh. Effinger. Um, good. It was a uh, Scott McNulty seal of approval. Check it out. Uh, it was a Nebula nominee. It was a Hugo nominee. It is set in a, uh, a cyberpunk uh, Middle Eastern locale. It's a, it's a uh, kind of an Islamic culture that is is dominant and predominant uh the it is it is a noir kind of story um the the guy, the main character is marid audron i think marid is a you know he's kind of got a bad job and he he's involved with like criminals and there's this whole like organized crime system in the place where he lives and his girlfriend is a let me see if i can get this straight it was born male has been changed into a female and now works as a prostitute. And he, she and the other prostitutes are sort of like Marid's buddies in this kind of underworld setting. And um, he gets into tr into trouble. There are these things that you can stick in people's heads that modify their brains. You know, it's a great cyberpunk novel. It isn't really widely known. And it's kind of a mind-blowing story. It, it, it is, you know, maybe from literary merit, perspectives not as great as some of the gibson stuff but i think underappreciated and i just remember these three novels it's first in a series being uh just fantastic when i read them i was blown away by them they're they're so different in uh in setting and in mood while still having this great uh kind of noir underworld uh you know crime story happening uh which like a lot of the cyberpunk stuff but it really it has stuck with me to this day so uh, when gravity fails is my choice, and I'm glad it got the McNulty nod there. That's good. Well, you win the the first book in this list that I have not read. Uh -huh. yeah, too. I'll have to I'll have to put that on my list. It's I'm good. I'm aware of that. It is in it is in print. It Tor is publishing now, and George Alec Effinger, actually a very good writer, and sadly was uh very ill for a long time, and he had huge hospital bills, and I remember he had a his like apartment burned down and and harlan oh. ellison did this thing where they raised money to try and pay his bills and 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 uh and then he died uh fairly young oh. uh, while writing the fourth book in the series um about 10 years ago i think so um which is a, sh a real shame sort of a sad life but um left some great work behind so george alec effinger um and i got the the scott mcnulty thumbs up and the dan morin huh so i consider that two for two <laughs> Um, Five points. Let's, let, thank you. Oh, I get points. Excellent. I win. Someone has to uh, reward him. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding. Let's go to Dan Morin for a second selection. Dan. Back, back around to the top. All right. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow a page from the Lex Friedman playbook for a book about time travel. Um, very much, very different from the first book I suggested. Uh, and that is Connie Willis's To Say Nothing of the Dog. Which is one of my favorite books that, about that time was travel. on my list too, as uh, in my top ten. Sucker! Great, I mean, great job, great Dan. Choice, great choice. I endorse um, you. I've read it though, so yeah. it's an excellent, excellent book. Um, it's one of she's written I don't know four or five books now about this particular time travel. Which is to say, what one of the things I like about it is her time travel books are always very grounded in the period to which the people travel. So in some ways, they're more like historical fiction. Um, to say nothing of the dog is my favorite because. Unlike the uh, other one, many of the other ones she she writes about, um, it's funny. It's really, really, really funny. Like like laugh out loud, put the book down because I'm crying. Funny, um, and basically it involves uh, some characters who are academics from Oxford going back to I think it's the is it's the 1920s or so, right? Um, yeah, that the sounds exact right. Time period, but 
back when back at when cats weren't extinct. Yeah, it's sort of a it's sort of a mystery and sort of a comedy of manners. Um, and it's just it's incredibly delightful. Um, and I think it's really got me. I had not read anything by Connie Willis prior to that. And I think someone gave that book to me and I was like, oh, this sounds kind of interesting. I'll start reading it. And I loved it so much that I've gone back and reread many of her other books, which are um, several of which were also close competitors on this list. But to say nothing of the dog remains my favorite uh, and I think that is because she manages to capture this beautiful uh, madcap, uh, I'd say Woodhouseian uh, comedy aspect. And I just I adore P.G. Woodhouse. And I think she manages to sort of tap into his psyche here with this with the comedy and to say nothing of the dog. Oh, yeah. Um, Funny. Just just I mean, it is there are not that many sci sci fi comedies. There are some. Yeah, this is a sci fi that are well that done. Hilarious. Um, and I, I think that, you know, for me, it got started on the uh, the thing that got me laughing so hard the first time I read it was that so in this universe, you suffer from time lag as one might suffer from jet lag. Um, but one of the symptoms of time lag is increased sentimentality. And so it's one of the characters talking to a dog about, oh, dog, man's best friend. You truly are better than the other characters are going like, uh, are you all right? Um, and so I think that that's one of my favorite. If you want the sort of darker turn on that one, um, Doomsday, Doomsday Book, Book, which is also very good, but extremely depressing. depressing. And like, you know, it is the tragedy to the comedy. of yeah. Hey, everybody, dog. let's time travel to the Black Plague. By accident, uh, everybody <laughs> dies basically. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then sort of in the middle ground there, you get the the blackout all clear right. duology. Um, right. And I think she wrote a short story as well, Firewatch, which also is in the same universe. Right. Um, and yeah, and several of the other books are are good. I'd say the clo the close runner up there, and it's less science fictiony, but the close runner up for my favorite book by her is Bellwether, which is a short. Uh, adorable little book that I would throw out there. But Connie Willis as an author is, is worth checking out. And to say nothing of the dog in particular is my favorite. Good call. Let's move on to Scott McNulty. <clears throat> ah, I, uh, I was unprepared to be moved upon. Uh, so in keeping with uh, your cyberpunk uh, recommendation, Jason, I will uh, mention a book that is thought to inform cyberpunk as a genre. Uh, although when I read it, I didn't pick up on that at all. Uh, the Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a fantastic book. Also, uh, kind of dark because the main character is uh, completely overtaken with uh, a, a crazed need to exact revenge. Uh, he starts off the book in, in basically kind of... Uh, stuck in a life pod in space basically for for many many months uh and a ship comes by and he thinks oh they're gonna pick me up uh, but they don't and then uh through a series of events he gets out uh and then he he decides that he needs to uh get his revenge upon the the crew of the ship uh and it's a very complicated book and, and uh plot to uh kind of uh synopsis uh, but uh, the things that you need to remember is uh, the the uh, character, main character, uh, crash lands on this this uh, planet that is constructed of discarded spaceships, uh, and unbeknownst to him, the inhabitants of this planet tattoo a very elaborate tattoo on his face, which uh, they don't have mirrors, so he never notices it. And then he's picked up by another spaceship, and they're like, "Dude, you have a tattoo on your face." <laughs> he's like, "Oh my god!" Uh, he's also able to psychically teleport himself. Uh, interstellar to different planets, which uh, other people can't do. 
but they can do in shorter distances, uh, and other people can read people's minds. It's it's very complicated, uh, but through many kind of hijinks, he eventually kind of gets revenge, but doesn't. Uh, there's lots of twists and turns to the story. Uh, it is kind of dark, so uh, be prepared for that. But uh, yeah. it is very good. Really good. Really good. I read that a few years ago. And it's it is uh, it's great. They have the you can jaunt, right? Is that like yes. you teleport around, but only so there's like a distance limitation or something. That's exactly. But he doesn't have that. He figures out how to get rid of that distance limitation, uh-huh. and and so people are quite interested in that. Diabolical. Another interesting Go- point is that removed. he gets exactly he gets the tattoo removed from his face so that he can uh, uh, you know. Um, uh, blend in with people so nobody knows it's him. Uh, but except when he gets really excited, it, the the faint tattoo where it was kind of fills in again because the blood rushes to his face. So that's a kind of a critical moment in the story. He gets really uh, excited and then people are like, ah, it's you. All right. The star's my destination. Good pick. Uh, let's move on to Glenn. Me? Um, Why are you I all so would... surprised? I'm just going in the same order we did the last time. <laughs> We're trying to introduce element of tension in the show, Jason. Uh, you'll never know who I'll pick next, except if you're paying attention, then you'll know. Go ahead, uh, Glenn. Well, so, <laughs> I apparently wasn't. Uh, I am going to pick Hyperion by Dan Simmons. Also because... on my list. Great. So 10 points to you. Thank you. So the <clears throat> the reason I, I would mention Hyperion is um, I, I, I think I try to pick all the things in my – I have a long a long list we won't get to. Uh, but perhaps we'll post our lists on the site. I don't know. But um, the Hyperion is something like many of these other novels where when I read it, I was struck. I was struck by either the beauty, the intensity, by unusual ideas that had never entered my mind before and changed my consciousness forever. Uh, so Hyperion tells the story in a kind of um, – not Pilgrim's Progress, but a um, – uh, uh, Chaucer. What's the uh, Chaucer story? The um, Chaucer. Anybody? Anybody? Chaucer. Chaucer. Yeah, the Canterbury Tales. Canterbury Tales. Yeah. <laughs> One that apple. This root is soter. Thank you. There we first go. line when of when uh, the showers suta hat that pear said to the ruta. Oh my God! Okay. Somebody, we're all, we're all English majors here. <laughs> I was art, so I can just draw you a picture of it. So the can, it's the it has a loose structure of Canterbury Tales with stories told in turn by six different people on this spaceship that are all going off to something like uncharted space, and they all center around a planet called Hyperion. That theme of Glenn's evening, like Dune, is a peculiar planet. Um, Hyperion has strange properties, and there's um, like these sort of area. That's almost impassable because it generates the plant life generates electrical fields and storms and lightning. And so you can't even really land spaceships there. Nobody really cares because it's kind of this beat up old planet and mysterious events are happening or have been happening over a period of time. And so there's a poet, there's an ambassador or a, a, a diplomat. There's a woman, an old Jewish man whose daughter is aging backwards in time and a priest who right. uh, is it has an actual well, I won't tell that, but it's too much of a spoiler. It's yes. too integral to the story. But yeah, the um, cross a, and the resurrection mean uh, extra special things to the priest. <laughs> extra special. So it's. I think it's a great. It's a great set of stories, and apparently yeah. one of the stories about Siri. S i r. Yes, remembering Siri. Remembering Siri. It was originally a standalone story that became the germ of yeah. this uh, of the novel, and it's you know it's picaresque because you have different things happen that are facets of the of the uh, same 
place but happening at different times right. they happen across space everything is coming to a point in hyperion and there's this mysterious creature called the shrike that is some enormous multi-armed armored thing that no one quite knows what it is and i think it's got it's full of mystery it's a it's beautifully written dan simmons everything he writes is beautifully written but i find a lot of it so either hermetic or just you know it's just impenetrable or just i don't know i find it idiotic at this point that i i try to read his stuff like the olympus and uh Ilium, I read both those and I just found them so muddled, yeah, I didn't, I didn't but he those. writes beautifully and it carries me on. So same thing with, as with Dune, I would suggest if you read Hyperion, read the first and don't read uh, Fall of Hyperion and Dimian and Rise of Endymion because I think they're, I think they lessened for me the appreciation of that first novel. They're, the second one, especially it abandons the whole narrative structure and yes. it becomes kind of a space shoot me up with lots of stuff. It, and the, it the ends... next two. The mm-hmm. first, the, the Hyperion ends so unfairly, though, as a reader, because they it's descend true. into the valley, and you're like, but, 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 and because the really the point is to tell you these seven stories of the travelers. It's it's almost like a, an anthology set in the same universe, along with this framing sequence, and then the sequel is really like, and this is what happened when they got there. And I read it, and I liked it, but you're right that it's sort of not the point of the first book. Um, and I yeah, loved, just- I did love it. He just sort of, I think he kind of gave up on the narrative structure and, yeah, but it's a, so I like Hyperion. I have the same problem with a lot of, you know, books that have sequels, but I think this one in particular, it's like Hyperion, fantastic, one of the best science yeah. fiction novels ever written despite the ending issue. You know, the next novel, well, not bad, but not great. And then like, oh, and then, oh. So I'm, yeah, you know, I just yeah. say read Hyperion, restrain yourself. Don't worry about, don't worry about what happens to the characters. Just end yeah. there. I'd say it's really two, two book kind of pairs and you could read fall of hyperion i really wouldn't recommend reading the endymion rise of endymion that's pair. for sure but, but fall yeah, of hyperion right. you could read but hyperion you has get a, some as resolution a, yeah. well he he did the thing he was revisionist and so endymion and rise of endymion. oh yeah there's a lot of retcon in there yeah it's retcon and it's a very frustrating retcon because you're like dude you made your universe you gotta either live with it or rewrite your books because you're just <laughs> right. annoying us as readers yeah. yeah but it's good stuff I like that a lot, and it was on my list. I had it open in a little browser tab right here. I was going to talk Ooh. about it. Well, thank you. So, to plus 10 to Glenn. Thank you for having such good taste. I, I am also, glad that uh, people... Yes, Scott? It was also on my list, just to... Look at that! Plus 20 to Glenn. Amazing. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. Just keeping score. Let us move shooting, on... We're shooting for a low score, right? This is like golf. Yeah, it's like golf. That's exactly it. Let's move on to... Lex Friedman. What? I can't wait to hear what Lex Friedman has next. This is just baffling. Traveler's Wife 2. Schmeck Schmiedman? You guys are already being cruel and I haven't even gotten to the embarrassing part yet. Uh, I will say with some trepidation that for my second selection, I debated between not one, not two, but three separate novels all by the same guy. Uh, A very famous author, not necessarily renowned for his sci-fi work, but it was The King, Stephen King. And I looked at the first one I was going to pick was 112263, but I didn't want to have two choices that had already had incomparable episodes that covered them. And 112263 yeah. is another and, and one with time travel. time travel. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's another one with time travel, and it's, it felt redundant. So I looked to Under the Dome, which I think is overall his best written story, um, where in the, you know, the opening scenes, uh, a strange, impenetrable glass dome, or a glass maybe not be the right material, but an impenetrable dome comes down over this town, and then you watch what happens in this town with these people who are cut off from the rest of the world. I mean, it's just, it's great, it's long, it's vivid, and every scene is, I think, really drawn beautifully. And I, I think in a, a failure that is too common to King, the uh, the ending is just really kind of terrible. Uh, so I rejected that one. And I landed on 
the least sci-fi-ish of my three selections, but we'll allow it because it's a summer episode. And it was <laughs> The Long Walk, which he didn't even write as Stephen King at the time. He wrote it as Richard Bachman. But The Long Walk is, I think, my my most beloved Stephen King novel, the one that I reread the most often, about uh, a a dystopian society of some sort. And for reasons that are never clearly explained, uh, various children are called up each year to walk endlessly, and it's all televised for your enjoyment. And if you don't keep up with the crowd, or if you, with the crowd of young boys who are all walking, or if you stumble, or if at any point you falter off the path, uh, they kill you. Uh, yeah. Or you walk until you die. Um, and so you just, it's the whole book essentially is the walk and it's, that's, um, and I'll say that's, that's a sci-fi premise. If ever there was yes. one, it's satirical and all that. So yes, Lex, I'll allow it too. Yes. So, but I mean, you just, you walk and you walk. Um, and I don't know for me, it's, I like it for, I like the story. I like the fact that he can tell a story where the entire journey is the walking and it's still a compelling read. And, um, I also think it's a very clear, very direct influence to the hunger games yes um so i think that is to its credit as well i think that's a great choice lex uh but the correct summer reading choice for stephen king is probably the stand oh. but still good choice stand Thank is you. on my summer reading list zero so points to actually oh, read it. oh oh you should read it you, you might need a couple summers if you read the full on uncut version but i read Jeez, it and uh, i got through you know of song of ice and fire in two months i think i can all right uh, yeah, yeah. that <laughs> uh, was a good pick. Serenity Caldwell, you are next. Oh, goody. Okay, I have to pick Surprise! one of... Surprise! You're yeah, the I one left with me! <laughs> oh, ah, God! What? How, why would you possibly pick me now, Jason? Uh, I think for my second pick, I'm going to have to go with another book that I read probably once a summer for four or five summers as I was growing up, uh, and that is Flowers for Algernon, which started out life as a short story and turned into a novel. Uh, this book was also made into a not so great film called Charlie which people have probably seen uh right. but I vastly prefer the the book as do I with most uh film adaptations uh but the plot of Flowers for Algernon is it's basically written log book style um wherein we basically look through the eyes of a um of a guy named Charlie who has an IQ of 68 uh, and you meet him and he's working at this bakery and people don't necessarily, you know, people are making fun of him, but he can't really see it because he's a little dim and he basically gets drafted to be a guinea pig in this experiment to supersize human intelligence. And so you're taken on this journey as he basically becomes smarter than anyone in the world and sort of climbs up and at first you see, oh, he's finally fitting in with his surroundings and he's eschewing, you know, all of the all of the things that aren't working in his life. And then bad things happen with the IQ test and everything starts to go wrong. Uh, and I really love this book because it's it's weirdly disturbing uh, in a sort of it's a it's a glimpse into humanity at its best and its worst. Because not only do you see sort of Charlie's transformation, but because you see the entire world through his eyes, uh, you really get to see, you know, the people that he's working with at the start, he thinks that they're his friends. And as he starts to gain intelligence and as he, you know, becomes 
more aware of his surroundings, he begins to realize, oh, no, these people are mocking me. And, oh, this woman I was, you know, really attracted to, all of a sudden I can't interact with her at all because everything she says makes me want to, you know, just walk away. And I can't focus on anything but, you know, my experiment now. Like, it's... I find the entire book really fascinating and I love the logbook style. It's also kind of why I loved Joe Walton's among others. It's, it's really, really fun and intriguing to go directly through a character's point of view and not very many authors can do it really, really well. And, uh, the Daniel keys who wrote flowers for Algernon just does it spectacularly. So, yeah, if you if you haven't, I mean, the short story. If you don't have time to read the novel, the short story is spectacular. I don't know if I've even read the novel. I remember reading the short story and being blown away by it. The novel is very good. Uh, the novel is a bit more adult than the short story. I started off with the short story because we actually had the uh, the I think it was a magazine that was first published in. We had that at my cabin, and I was so blown away by the short story. And my dad was basically like, "Yeah, oh, he wrote a full book of that." That I went immediately to the Lake Tahoe Public Library or the South Lake Tahoe Public Library, and we're like, "All right, I want the actual novel." I think I may have actually paid a uh, paid a lost book fee on that one because it just stayed around at the cabin for mm. years uh, on end. After you that, you stole it from the library. I know I'm a horrible yeah. person. But it was a really good book, so I, I feel justified, and I paid the library back in spades. All right, you. They would probably prefer money. money. Hey. <laughs> uh, uh, I was getting oh. card tricks. She's a betting. It was Lake Tahoe. She's gambling. Minus twenty for everybody. <laughs> all right, whose turn is it next? It's Jason. It's Jason. your turn. Jason, what? what book do you like? That's unexpected. What? I had no what? idea. Um, what? As foreshadowed, I am going to pick a William Gibson novel next, and um, I think it's his best novel, and that comes a lot from somebody who's bought Neuromancer in about five different formats, um, but uh, I think his novel from 2003, Pattern Recognition, is his best work. It is sort of sci-fi, but it's set in more or less the present day. I think the premise here is that our world that we live in now is... In many ways, if you view it in, in those ways, uh, science fictional, um, it's got a lot of his typical uh, stories. You know, there's kind of a MacGuffin. There's a mysterious billionaire. There's some Russian mobsters. But wait, it, wait, wait. It, I think you just described the plot of Gilligan's Island. Yeah, it is. <laughs> there is. There are no Russian mobsters. They're on the other side of the island with the headhunters. What are you talking about? It, you know, it's um, the the woman who's the protagonist is a is a cool finder. She's finding. She just kind of walks around and discovers what's going to be cool, and she uses that. That's her consultancy. Um, but she discovers this strange um, set of of film clips that are posted that nobody knows what they mean, and they're tr- people are trying to figure out what these uh, what these strange clips that are what are they called? The footage. Um, the footage oh the footage and and there's like this whole internet group of people who are trying to figure out it's like a cult i did read this i couldn't like remember a cult if I read thing it or not. of the footage it's viral all right it's like viral yep. before viral was a thing before yeah. viral video was a thing He's and got, like, she's prisoners. also oh yeah it, and she's a marketing professional but she's allergic to branding which is so if she like she she <laughs> if she sees the michelin man she like breaks out in hives and has a panic attack and it, even other brand names bother her and she has like special clothing that doesn't have 
have branding and it, it's and there's a there's a September 11th uh, reference in it which which he you know I think added in the latter stages but gives it gives it a, an interesting feeling and firmly a 21st century feeling and you know what he's a great writer but this is this is the book where like I like the characters especially the, the protagonist uh Casey Pollard um but also uh, uh big end is in it who who is the, the who's in all three of the novels in this series the Belgian uh, ad agency millionaire or billionaire um the the solution to what the true story of the footage is leads to there's some action but there's also sort of a touching situation where they go to russia and try to figure out what uh who's behind it um and, and along the way he just he he satirizes so many things about uh our modern culture and also extrapolates just a little bit forward uh as a somebody who's a big fan of max headroom when it was on in the 80s this has that feel of the 20 minutes into the future it's not it's not you know 500 years in the future it's just where our world is going to be not long after and uh i love it i i, I think it is him at the top of his game taking you know the skills that he's built up over the years and then and then you know, I, I thought his middle trilogy he did the first trilogy that was with neuromancer he did the bridge trilogy in the middle that i thought wasn't that great and then he came out with pattern recognition which turned out to be the first of this uh great trilogy of books um and uh it's on its own uh, you know it's a standalone novel you don't have to read the other books really good highly recommended so pattern recognition that's my choice that's the uh, only gibson book i've ever read wow wow i i like wow. gibson i would i think i would put neuromancer above pattern recognition for me but i i do like pattern recognition part of it was maybe when i read it, it left me kind of cold because i felt like it was it was so less it was so I read it years after it came out, and so all that stuff seemed kind of like old hat at that point. Like, oh, yeah, viral video on the internet. Yep, we're going to put that together. Yeah, all right. And, like, it just seemed like, uh, I don't know, it lost a little something of the of the magic of it in there, I think. But I, I it's an interesting book, um, and there's a lot to like about it. Is that a book so far ahead of its time that when the time comes, it seems uh, quotidian or something? <laughs> Well, I mean, the reason that I pick it over over Neuromancer because Neuromancer is so uh, I've read that so many times and it was so influential. But I felt like it was uh, it, not only is it is it of its time and it, it is it is more kind of clearly a noirish. You know, there's a MacGuffin yeah. well, in there, and I read that you know, one like twenty yeah. years after it came out and still found it like engrossing. I, I yeah. came very late to Neuromancer and and really loved it. Yeah. I, I want it to be less obvious too. So there you go. I, I, I choose to not, not pick it And pattern recognition though. I think, I think, uh, is not, um, is not appreciated as it should be by, uh, because neuromancer is such an influential novel. So that's what I pick. Okay. We are in, we are into the third round now. Uh, so we should move this on a little bit faster. Uh, but I would like another set of books. So we are going to go to, uh, Glenn Fleischman. Ha, see what I did. I changed the order. Whoa. Glenn, uh -oh. What's your pick? Oh, what? Oh, what the? What the? Um, I want to pick something um, broad because uh, Philip K. Dick. I want to pick everything he wrote. No, no, you can't. I'll pick out. A, I'll pick out a few. But See, um, this is what you get for going to Glenn. Philip K. Dick is um, not Philip. You haven't read anything by Philip K. Dick. You're googling him right now. <laughs> I don't. Um, no, Philip K. Dick, uh, you know, wrote an enormous amount, and um, I'll recommend a couple name one book, of. Glenn. Name one book. Uh, 
It starts with the uh, Galactic Pot Healer, which is the craziest title. I think I found out about this book from Boing Boing or something. And then I, um, it's a great, really sprawly, weird thing with a, you know, a creature from another planet that sort of recruits a guy from this dystopian version of Earth. And he appears as like flames and a phoenix and people can't see him. And then it's like this underwater. Oh my God. It's a great sprawling mess of, um, it's funny. It's weird. It's, uh, if you want to get job advice, you have to come up with actual quarters, which cost a fortune and put them in like a phone booth and, and uh robot gives you advice. It's just, it's a crazy thing. I can't even explain it. Like I'm trying to explain it really. So I know that it is, but galactic pot healer is interesting man in the high castle. Um, Ubik also like, these are all some of, um, I think, uh, man, in the high castle is better known, but I, I would say pick up, pick up some dick. There's a couple of collections out now. There's three from the, the new American library came out with, um, like, uh, officially edited and collected novels. And, um, I have the first of them and, uh, I think, uh, it's, he's a great, it's not a, it's not easy summer reading always, but his stuff is interesting, thought provoking, bizarre, and you don't find anything like it in, most other science fiction because most people were not as seriously disturbed as Philip K. Dick. Galactic pot healer. Is that your choice? Well, let's just put that out first. Cause it's just, uh, I thought that's unusual, but you know, Philip K. Dick, get a, uh, get a good, you got to pick one. Stuff. You got to pick one. I'll pick galactic pot healer for 200 Alex. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, let's go to Dan Morin. Ooh. What? What? My turn. <laughs> what? what? You on the podcast? All right. I'm going. I'm going to veer off the science fictional train slightly to a. No. Uh, a, I know. I know. To a to a supernatural themed book. So it's still in the same. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's a book about supernatural. No, it's it's, it's a novelization. W, it's a novelization of it. Incidentally, that's even funnier if you watch the show. Supernatural. Um, and so yeah, I know. I'm just going to talk talk to myself now. Um, no, it's a book called The Devil You Know by a writer named Mike Carey. Mike Carey cut his teeth doing uh, Vertigo comics, including uh, a very popular run on Lucifer, which is branches off the story from Neil Gaiman's Sandman about the, the devil. And he is the author um, of The Unwritten, which we talked about in a comic book club episode. I'm sad I missed excellent. that because I'm just I am reading that now. Oh, it's um, good. Yes, it's very good. I like it. I like it a lot. It's like uh, it's a better version of The Magicians. Um <laughs> And so, Grossman cries. So I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick the W. No, which is his the first in his series about Felix Fix Caster, who is a freelance exorcist. Um, and <laughs> I love this book because it is again, as sort of with uh, Altered Carbon, which I talked about at the top of the, top of the show. It's very noir. It's so basically sub out, you know, Humphrey Bogart as a private eye for this, you know, slightly schlubby guy who you know wanders around and, and dispatches ghosts, or alternately. Uh, does magic at children's parties to make, to pay the bills. Um, but he gets roughed up like all your noir heroes and he always stumbles upon these things which are somehow going on that are even bigger. Um, and I just, I love, it's so well drawn and the world is so well drawn. Um, it all takes place in London. Um, and there's, there's, I think, five books so far and they kind of build, there is sort of an ongoing plot um, that involves his best friend who has been possessed by an extremely powerful demon. Um, and there are some interesting characters and, and the plots that develop along the course of these books. Um, some of them are better than others, but I think most of them are actually really good. Um, and if you like sort of mysteries and enjoy any sort of supernatural ghost story type thing, um, 
it's an excellent, excellent pick. I love the fact that every exorcist has to have their own particular shtick sort of for dealing like none of them can really explain how their powers work but they have some method that works for them and for for fix it's a uh he carries around a tin whistle and he uses music to sort of ensnare the ghosts and and send them on to their final resting place and it's one of the few books that actually starts to get a little bit philosophical about like where the heck do these guys go after we dispatch them like this and what does that all mean so it's a it's a great great series of books highly recommend it all right the devil you know Mike Carey, let's go to uh, Serenity Caldwell. Okay. Um, my next book on the list is Carl Sagan's Contact, uh, which has actually been made into a film that's actually half decent. Uh, but I I really love and the half book. half not decent. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I like the movie. Mm, I like it. The movie has good <laughs> points. It's not, it's not a perfect film, but it no, has a no. lot of really, really nice visualizations. Um, so the novel contact for people who haven't read it is basically about scientists, uh, and first contact with an alien species and how aliens might contact us and trying to get the world to believe that they actually have contacted us and how that relates to faith, uh, and gets mired in all of those fun, fun subjects. I love this book. Again, I mean, female protagonists, always a good thing, especially when they're pretty awesome. But in addition, it's... I like how this book makes you question faith and fate and moments in time. I, as a kid, I loved aliens, and I loved the idea of... My dad was a ham radio operator, uh, so the idea of contacting another planet or another race of you know through the stars through radio waves was such a fascinating concept to me that i just dove right in which is why again the the 1997 film not a perfect movie but i must have watched it 40 or 50 times after it came out and got it like i wore out that vhs just because you know it's there's something really exciting about the idea of wanting, you know, first contact and and wanting that to be true and questioning your own sanity. And, you know, it's I I think it's a really good book. I also think it's a really good film. And it's it's light enough to be an easy beach read, but it leaves you with some interesting questions at the close. And it's great to read right before dusk so you can, you know, go up on your roof or sit out on a dock and look up at the stars. It's the, in many ways, the fundamental science fiction story, right? It's the, the ultimate is what if there were other creatures out there and what would happen if we found out and that's, and then take the science of it, which Carl Sagan is quite uh, (laughs) capable of doing and then take the, uh, you know, a a realistic look at what the ramifications would be. And, and then you've got a story. Yeah. It's, it's quite beautiful. Let's go now to Lex Friedman. Uh, I cannot think of a worse book to follow up contact with than my last election. Uh, but it's I was the novelization about, of, Max, uh, of Star it's called, Wars. It's called Stay I was Back. About, it's uh, the novelization of the movie Contact, adapted from the book <laughs> Contact. <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking about reading and summer reading, and I don't think of. 
I, the truth is, you know, I don't think of summer reading as a, a specific kind of reading for me anymore the way I used to do when I was growing up because now I just read all year long and I don't have extra reading time in the summer because I don't take a big summer vacation most summers. I thought back to uh, summer sci-fi reading that I would have done while growing up and I thought about a book that I consider my introduction to sci-fi as a genre. I thought, hey, I enjoy reading this and I want to read more about it. And um, so it would be the book that I say introduced me to sci-fi and scared me so thoroughly uh, when I wasn't reading it that I would have to leave it face down because the cover was scary. And that is My Teacher is an Alien by Bruce Coville. And, you know, it's there's a whole series of My Teacher is an Alien books. It goes into My Teacher Fried My Brain and Glows in the Dark and Flunk the Planet. And it's uh, all of them center on the same basic premise, which is that aliens have infested this clearly uh, a school with very poor hiring standards but uh it is up to various stock children from that school to prevent the aliens from taking over the world and the world really is in danger in these stories for children and uh but luckily the children are there to to rescue us and to to prevent the aliens from achieving what they hope to achieve um were i glenn i would talk about the time that bruce coville came to my school and went around the classroom helping us having us each describe a characteristic of an alien we all created together and you know he had the first person say you know how tall is it and the second person what color is it? and he got to me he said eyes and i said three and he said you're the first person to ever say a number when i ask for eyes everybody else always provides a color and he thought i was great so i also think bruce coville is great but that did not influence my selection of my teacher as an alien today so this is the book that you can slip in your kids bag to take to the beach yeah, you know, once right now my my five year old loves chapter books. She but she likes reading about fairies and princesses and magic and stuff. She gets scared a little bit too easily for my teachers and alien now. But I think come seven or eight, she's going to be ready. But anyway, I really did enjoy my teachers and alien. And you know, if I looked at it again uh, this week, and it's because I still have all those books because I, those are a few of the books I saved from when I was a kid. And I mean, they don't hold up well in the sense of, you know, it's not like children's literature. That's really great for adults too. The way some might consider, I don't know, Harry Potter or hunger games. Uh, plus this targets, I think a younger reading audience, but the stories are well-crafted and they, you know, you can see that it's, it's scary in the right ways. And it's the science fiction stuff is at least well done. It's got its own, you know, thing and it works with it i don't know it's 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 well crafted and it's well targeted to its youthful audience that's great pick great pick all right uh we've got two selections left and up next is me (laughs) see i I changed it around i am going to pick um for for some more contemplation in your summer reading if you'd like to think a little bit Mm -hmm. um read joe haldeman's classic the forever war from 1974 Here, here. I just added that to my summer reading list, actually. Ah, wow, that's that's a good one. That was me working retroactively through time to put that mm, on your list. Whoa. I wouldn't um, put it past whoa. you, Jason. <laughs> so, so well, it's all about time dilation. So, the Forever War, which was written uh, at, toward the end of the uh, Vietnam War, and it is a kind of a meditation on the the disaffection that soldiers felt. Um, when returning home from Vietnam, I think is sort of fundamentally what it's about, but it's about a lot of other things about cultural shifts, uh, during, uh, wartime and just in general, it's about, um, you know, the life of a soldier and being removed from the people that they're fighting for. It's about the questions of whether war is necessary ever, whether, um, you know, regardless of what the soldiers are, are doing is, is war something that should ever happen, um, lots of big ideas. You know, there's a whole 
uh, subplot about the uh, well, I'm not going to go into it too much. I mean, suffice it to say, the culture of humanity changes and changes radically as these soldiers keep moving through time because when they they go out on a battle, there's huge time dilation. So battles are fought, and by the time you return, hundreds or thousands of years have passed. And so these future soldiers are uh, quite literally returning to a place that isn't home, and they aren't recognizable, and they don't fit in with uh, with what they got, come home to, so it's just it, it is a it is a, a masterpiece. It is one of the classics of science fiction, and it's got a lot. It, it's in that mold of science fiction that not only is it telling a he's telling a good, entertaining, exciting story, but the social uh, commentary that he's doing while telling that story, using all of the things that sci-fi can do. As a kid who grew up watching Star Trek and realized as I as I watched the original Star Trek, just how they were using science fiction to tell you know make commentary on the world that you might not get away with if it wasn't science fiction and people with ray guns and things like that uh, and the forever war does that too the forever war has this whole layer of commentary that it, it's able to get away with uh by having it be set in the science fictional premise so it's a classic and i recommend it and it's not I, it's not really a downer it's just i mean it's weighty in its subject matter but it's not really a downer it's not like gonna bum you out if you read it on the beach it's just going to make you think. So that's my choice. Wait, I have to think now? Occasionally. So that's my choice. And that leaves us with Scott McNulty. Well, I, I approve of that choice, Jason. And Thank uh, you. For, just in case you were wondering. I took your silence as uh, assent, but that, that is good. And Dan, have you read it? I have actually not read it. It's, been on, it's sort of been on my perennial list for a long time since right. I know it gets forever. put up there with it gets put up there as the huh. yes forever at war. I've been with myself forever. No, it's it's uh, been put up there as sort of the polar opposite, or in some ways the conversational opposite of uh, Starship Troopers, which I think is an interesting yeah I agree duology. Less uh, atom bombs in the Forever War, as I remember it. But um, so my pick is uh, a book that. I like, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I'm just trying uh, to... It's a bold that's choice, That's how God. this works? I am going in a different route. Uh, the Sparrow by Mary Dora Russell. Um, oh, excellent. Excellent. That was on my list, too. Excellent. Oh, yeah, that's there, magnificent. Great. It is choice. a fantastic book. Not not a really uplifting story, but no. uh, it, it revolves around... So the Jesuits find this planet, they, they hear a signal from a planet, uh, so they send a space mission to it to uh, discover that there are aliens on this planet, uh, and, you know, through a series of uh, unfortunate events, they really uh, kind of ruin the, the, the alien's culture, and the main character, who's a Jesuit priest, is uh, kind of captured by uh, this alien who is an artist uh, and who does not nice things to this priest uh but it's in keeping with the alien culture so they don't think of it as not nice but uh the jesuit priest certainly does uh and he ends up coming back to earth uh kind of doubting his faith and hating god for making him take this mission to this planet uh it's beautifully written it, yeah it it uh i went to a jesuit high school so i, I am interested in the jesuits uh, connection uh, but I think even if you were not taught by Jesuits, you will I like this book. I would not read the sequel, Children no, of God. No, 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 uh, But uh, if you plan to read the sequel, just read The Sparrow again. 
Yes. And, and you will be happy, I think. I was hoping she was going to write some uh, additional science fiction, but then she's become mired in, as I recall, like alt history Holocaust writing or something. No, she's she's. uh, It's not all alt history. I mean, she she wrote actual historical. historical. She wrote a thing about World War Two and in Italy with uh, the and and her latest is about Doc Holliday. And my wife read it and said it was actually quite good. Okay, well that's called Doc. But uh, that the, uh, the the sparrow is great. Although my one complaint about the sparrow is, and I've said it on the podcast a couple of times, you get to about 80% or 90% of the way in and a lot of the detail kind of drops off and it becomes all about the plot. And it's as if she realized she needed to turn in her manuscript, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate because uh, all the stuff that I really loved about it up to that point, kind of a lot of that fell away so she could finish. But she does finish, which is good. That is good. She didn't just stop. Like, no, uh, Neil Stevenson, like Dan, right? or like Dan Simmons. That's <laughs> <laughs> creepy. Yeah, exactly. And scene. Exactly. No, that's a great pick. The Sparrow. That is one of my. Yes. That, that is one of my uh, favorites. That is on my top ten and maybe even my top five list, along with yeah. the, along with the Time Traveler's Wife. Honestly, so yeah. If I had remembered that, Woo-hoo. I might have put that up higher. But I'm glad Scott picked it. Yes, I, Scott saved us from Thank shame. You. He saved us, Jesuits. again. It's what I do. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for saving us. All right, uh, we have reached the end of our list. We have created um, 18 books that we suggest that you consider reading this in summer. The next, in the next six weeks. Before, yes, before we go, or, or, or put them on the list. Before we go, I will go around and see if anybody had any others that they want to mention the titles of just to get them out there. Because you did the work, why not show it off? And while you're thinking of that, I'll throw out two that I had. I had The Diamond Age or A Young Lady's Illustrated Primer by Neil Stevenson, which is my favorite, maybe, Stevenson, although I like many of his books. And I had A Million Open Doors by John Barnes, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, which is the first book in a series uh, where they they invent things that let you step from one planet to another, and there's lots of cultural uh, hubbub that happens then because cultures are mixed for the first time in hundreds of years, and it's very interesting. Uh, Dan, do you have any extra names you would like to throw out there? Uh, well, I throw out a couple that we already talked about on the podcast in, in earlier editions, which are uh, John Scalzi's Old Man's War. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which someone in the chat room also mentioned. Good companion. on my list. Read that and The Forever War. That's not a bad com- yeah. companion. Well, and in fact, I, I recommend um, all three of the sequels that, that Scalzi has, Ooh, has yes. written for The Old Man's War. They're all very good. Yes. He is about to embark upon writing a sort of a not quite serialized novel, but an episodic novel. Um, which will be released in in weekly installments, I think, starting in December. Oh, wow! On Tor's website, which sounds very interesting. Um, so I put that out there, and of course, the, I think one of the first books we talked about on this podcast, which is Nick Harkaway's Gone Away World, which remains one of the best science fiction novels I've read in recent years. That's a good book. We should talk about Angel Maker in a future podcast. Yes, we should. It's not quite, Angel Maker's not quite science fiction, although it has some science fictional elements. Well, kind of, yeah. Okay, kind of. We'll talk about that. That's good. That's good. Uh, Glenn, do you do you have any leftovers on your list? I got a I got a bunch. I'll go through super fast. Um, Lathe of Heaven, Lathe of Heaven, Ursula K. Le Guin, great book. on my bookshelf. Yes, Uplift War of all ah, of David the David Brin. Yeah, David Brin. We're going to talk about David Brin in a future podcast. I think um, Uplift War of all of those. I think I read the six Uplift Universe novels. Yeah, was maybe more. And I think Uplift War I liked. It's got a great plot, great characters. It's kind of fun. It moves along, and there's some really hilarious stuff in it's it. It's the one like, with the gorillas, not yeah, the one with yeah, the dolphins. Uplifting, exactly, much better. Uh, Anathem because it rewired my brain. I think it's one of my favorite Stevensons. Um, Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars. Kim Stanley, Stanley Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, very you know long series, 
very involved million characters, but I think he pulls it off quite well. Shadow of the Torturer, Claw of the Conciliator by Gene Wolfe. I've read a lot of Gene Wolfe. I wish I hadn't read much Gene, much of Gene Wolfe, but those two, the first in the uh, the Torturer series, the, the was it the Son of the New Earth series, I think, or whatever it was called. Um, those first two I quite liked. And Solaris, Stanislav Lem, uh, magnificent, crazy, difficult book that makes your brain work in different ways after you read it also. All right, that's good. Lex, do you have any more left, or were, were, were those your three science fiction books that you've ever read? No, I had others. I... Um... I couldn't decide between various. Uh, I couldn't decide from from various Kurt Vonnegut novels, so I rejected them all. But uh, I was considering, you know, I think obvious Vonnegut choices like Sirens of Titan and Slaughterhouse Five and uh, 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 Help Me, another one, Cat's, Cat's Cradle, Cradle. Uh, Cats Cradle. Cat's Cradle, and um, but, and if you guys hadn't all hated it, I would have uh, mentioned Ready Player One because I think you're all dead wrong about it. And that's all I'm going to say. We didn't and, all hate which, it. Which I by the I read Jason. on uh, because Scott McNulty mentioned it on Twitter, so I bought it and read it. Oh. Um, Such as my and uh, I think yeah, that's that's I was thinking about Kurt Vonnegut, and I was thinking about Ready Player One, and I knew that mentioning the second one would get me ridiculed, so I left it off. All right, Kurt Vonnegut is much better than Ready Player One. He is that's true. Or, or, Agreed. Or feed, um, <laughs> which nobody has mentioned. Uh, Serenity Caldwell, do you have any leftovers? I have a couple. Um, S is for Space, which I've mentioned several times on this podcast, which is a short young adult uh, collection by Ray Bradbury. Ray is fantastic. Bradbury. I, I adore it. Um, American Gods, Neil Gaiman's uh, pseudo-fantasy, pseudo- I had that on my list, and then I decided it wasn't sci-fi, really. Yeah. So I took it off. But a great book. I love it. I feel I only read a Nazi Boys. Is American Gods? Should I go oh, back it's better than yeah. Nazi Boys. Yeah, I, I, I quite better, yeah. like American oh. Gods. I, I would tend to agree. And Nazi okay. Boys is kind of like a fable. American Gods has I don't know. There's a little more. In, there's a little, yeah. little more meat. There's there. more there. I shall return it. To yeah, here. that's good. I can't believe no one mentioned Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because I think of that as yeah, iconic yeah. summer yeah. reading. You're right. You're right. Um, True. Jurassic. I didn't mention it because yeah. I hated it. I thought it was too <laughs> obvious, but. <laughs> Uh, Michael Crichton's oh. Jurassic Park, actually, I have on my list because oh. I read a lot of Crichton growing up over the summer, well, and they're summer very reading. good. Yeah, mm. it's well, I mean, it's not. It's again books that aren't maybe the best books in the world, but are good, interesting sci-fi, and have been made into. I guess most of my picks have been made into weird movies, um, and. <laughs> I didn't have Ender's Game on the list because I know that it's a controversial book, but I can't help but oh, think about it. Oh, it's a great book. It. Yeah. It's a, I it's love a controversial I, I, author. I love it's a, yeah, the book. It's a, it's a good book, controversial <laughs> yeah, author. Yeah, exactly. I love the book, but I always feel guilty mentioning it. And people in the chat room are, <laughs> yeah. And then finally, uh, I'm, I keep on debating about uh, following Joe Walton's science fiction list, and among others, because there are 119 or so really potentially good science fiction books on there and i have read very few of them so i'm like maybe one summer i'll just sit down and read one of those a day uh but that's that's always a good book to read if you want picks for even more science fiction novels i agree just read joe walton and and it's also my pick and scott's pick for the for the hugo award so you could read a good book and and find out about lots of other good books. agreed that's great 
And did, Scott, did I ask you? I think you're the last one left, right? Uh, you, you, you did not ask me, uh, so I will now answer. Please, uh, please do. I, I keep flashing back to when I was uh, in high school, one of my friend's fathers had like a, a shelf of Star Trek novels, and I spent the summer reading like 40 Star Trek <laughs> novels. Uh, they weren't very good. I remember one where uh, uh, Captain Kirk was in uh, a pie fight with Klingons. It was, <laughs> yes. it was uh, a little crazy, but anyway. Uh, Spock's World, though, sticks out to me as a, as a good book. I don't remember anything about it, uh, but I do remember it as being probably the best one out of those that I read. Um, but also, Ian M. Banks has written a series of books uh, about the culture. It's a, a yeah, space opera. Books are good. They're really good. Um, what else can I recommend? Uh, I, to... I, I throw in his his uh, his other non culture book, The Algebraist, too, which is also. Oh, yes, awesome. I have a, the al- my copy of The Algebraist uh, didn't have the last two pages in it, so it was, it was... <laughs> those are crucial, Scott. They, they tie the whole book together. It was formula very... incomplete. Sad. Uh, I am currently in the midst of reading um, The Middle Kingdom by David Wingrove, which is, it came out in the 80s. It's this, like, te- a, a nine or t- eight or ten volume series of books. Uh, the first one is Chung Ko, uh, and it's one of these series that the last book is absolutely horrible and kind of retroactively ruins the entire series. Uh, but I haven't read the last book, and the first book is incredible, so I would suggest reading that. And he's actually in the process of re-releasing them uh, and as 20 volumes. I don't really know how that works, but he is doing that, wow. so that's kind of interesting. Uh, and also there's a book, uh, The Risen Empire by Scott Westerfield, which is oh, another— Oh, which we mentioned. Yes, it's uh, another uh, kind of space opera-y thing, although keep in mind that it was originally— it's uh, two books. It was released as two books, so it was originally one book. That so they just kind of cut it in half. Uh, so make sure that you have the second book immediately after you read the first <laughs> book because it does just end <laughs> in the middle of a sentence, no less. It's Apply true. immediately. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Spock's world because that's Diane Duane, and she wrote The Wounded Sky, which I thought was the best of the Star Trek novels. We'll see there you so. go. Which is like uh, uh, she makes a real attempt to try to understand what a, a space battle would actually be like. Instead of just saying, and there were phasers, and then, oh, it's 20%, choo, we choo. can't take another hit. And she, they, there was, like, tactics and all, and I thought that was really cool. She also wrote a large amount of very good fantasy books for people who yes. want to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but also, also wrote a Star Trek episode and a couple of Star Trek novels. She's multifaceted. She didn't write the one with the Klingons and the pies, though. No, no, I hope not. I don't think she did. All right. So uh, on that note, we are going to close up the uh, Incomparable's first annual and maybe only annual uh, summer reading list. We hope you've gotten a lot of books that uh, some of which have struck your fancy and that you might take time to read. If not this summer, uh, then later on this year, just put them on your list. And uh, with that, I would like to thank my guests for being here tonight. Uh, Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you. This summer, I plan to read nothing but feed over and over. Over and over again. Mix in deadline a little bit. Glenn Fleischman, uh, you'll be reading only in the German this summer, I assume? I, I? Yeah. Jawohl. Jawohl. That's what I had to say. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you for being here. I was just sad I couldn't put my own book on the list. Yeah, next year, maybe. Next year. Next year, maybe. Maybe. Next Jerusalem. I'll be hosting hosting that podcast. I'm hosting that podcast. Uh, Lex Friedman, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody picked my books either. And I already ordered Pattern Recognition to my Kindle. Yay! Yay. I, I win.
And Serenity Caldwell, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure as always. I'm going to go curl up in bed and read The Diamond Age before bed now. Yeah, look at that. It could be your illustrated primer. It could. No. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, for The Incomparable, once again, I am Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. You can send us feedback at 5by5.tv slash contact. Pick The Incomparable from the list of shows and tell us what you think. Uh, our next show will be number 100 and it will be momentous we would love to know what you think about this show and all the other shows we've done Uh, and if you like us leave a review on iTunes if you don't like us leave a review on a piece of paper in your mailbox we promise to get it and look at it and improve Uh, ourselves eventually yes Uh, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time 